Welcome to the Company of One. This is episode number 162. Have you forgotten how to dream? Have you forgotten how to dream? Have you forgotten what it's like to have a dream? Unfortunately, many of us, that is true. And so many of the conversations I have had today, the last week, the last couple of months, and just conversations I have all the time, frankly, are about just the fact that we're lacking the ability to dream. So I'm Del Callahan. I am your host. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I am an Associate Dean of Engineering uh, at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, and uh, it's been doing helping people for years now, uh, doing executive uh, ed- engineering education, whatever that means, right? But that means helping professionals uh, that are out in industry figure out what's next and move to the next level. The dreaming thing is a big part of that. And by that, I don't mean pipe dream. I mean, have you forgotten what it's like to have a dream, to have a real goal that's beyond the day-to-day? I asked that question of a client just the other day. And when I did that, he was talking through all of his options. He said, should I take this job? I'll just put translate it into my words, a minor promotion? Or should I take this other job at another company? Still in my words, it was kind of a minor promotion. Uh, again, he wasn't calling any of these a minor promotions. This is kind of how I looked at it. I'm sure he was feeling like it was a bump in pay, a better title, right? But as he described both, I could tell, and, and you know, you've seen this in people, he could care less. He really, his heart didn't have any more action to it as to whether he took job A or job B. He just didn't care. And, and uh, as he, so he described these two things. I'm going to take this, chip, this promotion inside my company or I'm going to take this promotion in another company. Don't really care. And just the look on his face was as if, I'm just brain dead either way, and I don't care where I'm going. So I know that many of us feel, I know that you might feel that. And the only reason I know you might feel that is because many people tell me that is exactly how I feel, uh, that it's just numb. Uh, So I asked him, I said, what do you really want? Take all this off the table. So I'm going to ask you, right? Think about this for yourself. What do you really want? Take off all the table, all the baggage. And by baggage, I mean all the things that you have experience with. What if? What do you want to do if you step back and money was not an option? And I asked him that question. And he just looked at me as if I had begun speaking Chinese, right? It just was such a foreign concept. And he just sat there and he said, after a moment of awkward science, I said, have you forgotten how to dream? And then another few minutes of awkward science, uh, silence, he said, uh, he said, I have even forgotten what it means to dream. Now, That may seem kind of sad to you, but probably to many of you that are listening, that is going to hit home. 
again, I know because these are the conversations I have almost daily. We are in, for most of the people I'm talking to, they're in the United States, in the freest country in the world. You might argue that with me based upon where you're coming from. But we have all these options. And in even many other countries, we have all these options. And we quit dreaming. So today we kind of want to talk about what some of those things are looking like. What does it mean to go back and dream? And what are some of the things uh, that have held us back? Because it's interesting when we peel back the layers and say, what's keeping me from living a dream? Or what's keeping me from dreaming something bigger? So the first thing is, most of us have relegated our dreaming to somebody else. We've delegated it. We've outsourced it, if you will. We've let somebody else do something. You know, we used to be a nation. I'm speaking of the United States, but um, probably no matter where you are, no matter what culture you are in, you've got dreamers and you've got a history and you've got a culture where there are people that dreamed and innovated and made things happen, right? I'm going to speak for the United States. That's what I know best, but we see that in so much of the inventions. We see that in so much of societal change is just people used to have dreams, but now we've become mostly a nation of settlers, I don't mean we're settled into new homes or anything. We've settled. I settled for this job. We settled for a pay raise. We settled for a new title. We settled for watching other people do amazing things and work hard and make things happen. Right? We settle for having our mind made numb by the corporate grind. Mostly made numb by sitting in meaningless meetings, being led by people who also have no dreams and their mind is numb. That's what we've settled for, right? And think about it when we go home. And this is the typical person I'm working with. That is their life. They describe it. They're they're tied to email. They're tied to meetings. I'm not making emails and meetings evil. I'm just saying they have relegated their days to that without a lot of thought about what's really going on. And then when they get home, this is the part I really love, They've given somebody else control of that because many of these people have children. And what are their children's doing? Their children are driving them to soccer, to basketball, to band practice, to whatever. And they're being driven by a school system. As a matter of fact, when we used to have our kids in school, it was like the school system controlled us. And it does, right? You've got to get yourself up. You've got to get your kids ready. You've got to get them on the bus. Many times you have to go do things that they want done. But after work, the school still controls a lot of what you're doing. You have to go do things and you have to go to games. And many of us will say, and many people have told me, it's for my kids. And you, when you talk to their kids, their kids don't really care that much. They just like to go play the game. Not many kids are as driven as the parents. And what are the parents driven by? This is, this is going to get insane. What are the parents driven by? The parents are driven by hoping they can get their kids into college through the sport or the activity and get a scholarship so that they can get a job like the parents so they can be mind-numb too. I mean, that's the society that we're built in. We're kind of in this endless loop of dream killers. That's what 
we have become in our society. Now I know what you're thinking. We've got plenty of great big dreamers. We've got people that have done awesome things and we still look at them. Tesla's on television. Uh, Elon Musk is on television today uh, and you're brandishing his new vehicles and the awesome things he's doing. But these guys are rare and forget Tesla. Just take them at the people in your hometown the people doing small things, if you will. It's not billions of dollars tied to it. Still, we don't see a lot of dreamers. We don't see a lot of people taking action. And for many of them, for every one, there's a thousand sitting on their hands, right? What's wrong with this? Uh, because do, this, do the rest of us, yeah, the rest of us, do we want to sit on our hands? You know, so we suffer partly after our children, after our job. And by the way, I call that the corporate lobotomy, right? It's, it's, it's become, it's made you brain numb. I said that to, a, I was in a meeting with a CIO this morning of a, of a large corporation and I made the ter term corporate lobotomy. And he just, he looked at me very sternly at first and then he kind of laughed and he's like, yeah, that's pretty much where we are. You know, he'd been working with this company for 20 years. He feels it. I know he feels it. He's doing cool things, but there's part of him that it's numb, right? Just going to meetings. But then on top of that, on top of the corporate, on top of what the school systems do to us, on top of everybody having an agenda for us except us, then we relegate our time to entertainment. We're entertained to death. Think about YouTube. Three 3.2 billion hours of YouTube. I'm looking at the data right here in front of me. The 3.2 billion hours of YouTube are watched every month. How many, how many do you account for, right? How many of those are the cat videos that are just silly? How many of those do you watch over and over and show them to your friends, right? The number of hours people spend watching videos, we call it watch time, on YouTube alone, forget all the other platforms, on YouTube alone, is up 60% year over year, meaning we watch more and more videos. I know what you're thinking. There's a lot of really good educational, awesome stuff on YouTube. I agree. How much of it are you really watching though? Go see what gets watched the most. Kids unboxing toys, that's pretty cool. Uh, there's There was the one I've noticed that, I forget the boy's name, he just drinks a bottle of water, right? So he's just sitting there drinking water and the whole, and he just gets tons of YouTube views. Is that really entertaining? Uh, or is it educational? I don't know. So what are we doing? We, we've just relegated so much of our time and energy to this. Again, corporate lobotomy. This is, this is why. So I'm going to back up here and say why I think this is going on. Number one, you and I have become numb. We're just beat to death going to meetings, meaningless, meaningless meetings, oftentimes terrible leadership that's uh, getting us kind of stuck in this. Um, you might not have been here too long. You might have uh, been in this situation forever. I don't know. But you're feeling corporate lobotomy stuck in. You're also being taught to follow. Think about it. The average parent is teaching their kids to get into college. That's the big, giant goal of parents. I know we have a company that talks to parents all over the country. 
sometimes all over the world, but primarily all over the country, the big goal is college for almost every one of them. They don't really care about the learning. They care about college, getting my kid into college. Why? So my kid can go get a job and get their own corporate lobotomy, right? So why are we not being taught to dream? Why are we not being taught to step out there? So what I want to do is encourage you to start to dream again. To start to dream again. First, do you remember the dreams that you used to have? The things that you wanted to do? The the missions or purposes or whatever you wanted to call it. Do you still have the little notebook or things where you wrote things down and, and you drew pictures maybe? Even when you were a teenager or maybe even younger. The things that you wanted to do. That may seem so impractical now or not. But do you even remember them? And what is the dream today? I promise you, if I sat down right in front of you and we had a chat and I asked you what you're trying to achieve, many of you would just give me mind-numbing conversation about what the next position was and a lot of technical detail. Not because you're, you can't dream. It's just because we've been kind of beat down to that point. I know. I've been there. I might be there now. I don't know. Trying to struggle through this is not always that straightforward. So let's think about how do we recapture it. So I want you to recapture it. I want you to dream. I want you to tell me what you're dreaming. I want you to tell me what you want to do because that's awesome. It's always awesome to learn. One of the coolest things that I've done is being part of this graduate program that we do at the university. Not because the university's perfect, no. Uh, not because the graduate program is even perfect, but because we are engaging with people all over the country, well, now all over the world, um, that are taking part in graduate education. They're all professionals. They're all trying to find things, and they're beginning to dream again, some of them, and they're beginning to explore ideas again. And they're beginning to, as somebody said tonight to me, I'm learning a ton about myself. Uh, So they're finding ways to be inspired. So the first thing to do to find to be inspired is find new ways to be inspired is to find people who fascinate you. That doesn't mean they have to be a Hollywood person. It doesn't mean any particular aspect of them. Who fascinates you? How do you hang around them, right? Find people who inspire you. You know who they are. They might be the little old lady at church who just has such energy. She inspires you. And whenever you're around her, you feel awesome. They may be a friend. They may be people that are in your city that are doing cool things. They may be leaders of some particular thing or foundation you care about. But they're people that you just know these people are making things happen. And we tend to flock to those people in our different little groups, right? Your people will be different than my people, probably. But finding those people who fascinate you and hang around them. Because what happens is when we're hanging around that, it kind of generates thoughts. We see people doing things that it encourages us. The opposite thing we don't want to do is we want to be careful who you hang around, right? The, 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 the side part of that, because you only have so much time and being with people you just are not the best people for you to be with. Well, you know, attitude is contagious. 
attitude is deadly contagious. If you hang around people who are negative and whine all the time, you're going to be negative and whine all the time. If you hang around broke people, you're going to be broke. If you head around, hang out around fat people, you're probably going to gain weight, mostly because you're sitting there sharing a bunch of snacks together, right? So, but you got to find, be do the opposite of that. Find the people who fascinate you because that's what I'm saying is that the two of them, when you start doing the right thing, you have to do less of the wrong thing and hanging around the wrong people. I've got a podcast. I'll, I'll put a note and, and a link in the show notes too about, you know, you become who you hang around. And that's, it's a, boy, that's a deadly trait. The second thing is to find new ideas to try. Those things you always wanted to do, but you never had time, you never had money. You probably have time and money to do them now. Um, but to do that, you need to make time by quitting the activities that have no value in your life. Right? Think about the things that you're doing. Think about the, th- the people you're hanging out with. Does it provide you joy? Does it really just make you smile and you look forward to doing it? Do you look forward to doing it or are you just in the habit of doing it? This is something you need to be asking about everything. We ask that about our job a lot of times. Whoops. We ask that about our job a lot of times. I know because those are the conversations I have. But what about the other things? What about the people you're going out to lunch with? Most of you go to lunch with people you work with and you despise them or you despise the work. And it's negative and it's bitter because even if they may be friends of yours, you negative talk just dominates. What about all the people? All the people. Like it or not, people are the thing that inspires us. Right? So this is the third thing. Think about the people. People who are doing amazing things, people who are passionate about what they do, people who we connect with on our ideas and purposes. We want to focus on these people. So find the people that fascinate us, try new things, and focus on on the people. It's never the thing is is what I'm saying here. It's the people, right? Software, if you're into software, it's probably not just the software. It's the people doing it, the people teaching it, the people that are leading the charge, the people that are writing the books, the people that are doing those YouTube videos that you watch when you decide to get off the cat videos, right? It's those people who inspire us. Uh, So quit. These people who, who don't inspire you, who are not good relationships for you, stop hanging around them. All right. that's All this is recapture the spirit of dreaming. This is the spirit. Because you have to fill your soul, right? You have to fill your soul with stuff that makes you wake up. Sometimes this is an environment, right? Sometimes this is I'm in the wrong environment, the wrong company, the wrong city, the wrong friends, uh, that, uh, and you know, you know what I mean. You know the feeling. It's hard to describe, but it's soul draining. It just takes all the energy out of you and kills the, your inner spirit. Uh, so you want, a thing, you want to be around the things that liven you up and that make that happen. When you get around that, you're going to inspire dreaming, and then you need to dream. Oh, one doesn't come before the other. Hopefully this makes sense to you. Let's talk about dreaming. 
dreaming is the fun part, but dreaming is where this is what we do when we start dreaming. We start thinking. We start thinking about possibilities because that's what dreaming is. It's about possibilities. We tend to put on the brakes. So then dream. Failure is not the right outlook. To try to grow is the point. Right? It's not about whether I can do something or I can't. It's trying to grow. You ever you ever thought about, hey, there's this hobby I want to take on. Maybe there's this art class I want to go, and I want to go do that, and there's this art class going over there. It doesn't mean you want to go there. I mean, you probably do, but it doesn't mean you're going to go there and do fantastic art. It means you're going to go there to waken up yourself, to waken up your inner soul. Right? You're going to go there and try to shake yourself loose. You're going to go there to do art. It's not about being perfect. It's about growing. You might get there and say, I hate this. This was all an idealized dream. Then you know not to do it anymore. Because it's the journey, not the destination. Uh, we all know that. Sometimes we have more fun in getting there than we do um, actually getting to the destiny, you know, we're driving to another town, we're doing something. Sometimes the trip is more fun than actually getting there. Uh, see more possibilities. This is the part that I am always flabbergasted. I'm always flabbergasted with is people and their possibilities. Now, let me be fair. I spend a lot of time around a really lot of smart people, people with cool titles, people with cool jobs, people with cool degrees, people who um, who have thoughts that are bigger than mine and they make my head hurt listening to the things they talk about that they know and they do because they're really sharp people. So I'm saying that to say smart people, right? This is um, in at least in academic terms, right? It's shocking the number of fences they put around themselves. They put borders around themselves. And here's examples. Uh, people will tell me, I can't do this because my, my degree is in X. My degree is in computer science. So anything outside of computers, uh, that's not for me. Our company does this. And my experience in this company is you know 20 years working in this company. This is what I know. And therefore, this is what I can do. They even put barriers on themselves based upon the zip code that they live in. You know, here's things that you can get away with in my town. And we, and most of these, by the way, are not true. Most of these are mental barriers. And you're probably saying, no, mine are real. Oh, you're lying. For example, in a recent meeting with a CIO, uh, and he was telling me... It was personal. It wasn't his corporate issue, but he's a CIO, so he has a successful role. He's a smart guy, and he's talking about what's next. He thought his only options, and it was almost kind of sad to listen to him. He thought his only options were to become another CIO, to maybe move to a CEO type of role, uh, to take some kind of consulting role in the CIO world, information technology. Uh, but he discounted all the other things he liked doing. He had all these things. He liked real estate. He liked fixing up houses. He liked um, uh, he liked snow skiing. He, there's all kinds of things he had on his list of things he enjoyed doing, but he just didn't see this as options for what to go do as a career. So 
we put barriers on ourselves uh, by saying, I can't do that because this is my degree, or I can't do that because this is where I went to college, or this is, this is what company did, or this is where I live. We put barriers on our head all the time. I spin my head, banging my head against the wall, working with people on this, and yet I will do the same thing. That's how come I know you're guilty because I teach this stuff. I work with people daily on this stuff. And then I find myself doing the same thing. That's human nature. We do that. We put limitations on ourselves. We're humble to our own fault often that we just don't believe it. Even that arrogant person that runs around talking about how great they are, inside they don't believe it. They're unsure and all those kind of things. So we tend to kill ideas very quickly because we think that's not our skill. Another reason we tend to kill ideas is we see somebody else already doing it, right? Somebody's already doing it. Uh, how dare me enter the market? I, I look at real estate, right? If you throw a rock, you can hit a real estate agent. Uh, yeah, maybe that should be a lawyer. But anyway, if you there's a real estate agent on every single corner and, and people will say it's a crowded market. You can't get into that. How dare me enter real estate because who am I to do this? Um, and yet somebody new will move into real estate t- tomorrow and be wildly successful even though it's an overcrowded market, right? We tend to kill ideas when we see somebody doing it. And that's an easy one. What about a technical idea? Think about Walmart. There were stores around when they started Walmart, right? There was a big giant store by the name of Kmart that you may not know who they are anymore because Walmart worked, right? They came onto the space. What about Facebook? A lot of people think about Facebook as being the first social media business. It wasn't. They were kind of late to the game, actually. So was Google. Google was late to the game. The investors in Google actually had doubts because they thought these guys are so far behind the A-ball, there's no market left, and they got into it. Now, all three of those companies I just mentioned, look on the richest people in the world and see whose names are on there. Representatives from Walmart, Facebook, Google, and a couple of other companies. But they all started that way. They all started, somebody else was already doing it, somebody else was already in the space, but they did it anyway. So did the corner laundromat guy who's right down the road from you. There's laundromats everywhere. He or she entered the laundromat business and it's probably doing okay if they stay there, right? You can kind of tell. So, so did the person that's holding the job you now want, right? There's somebody that took a job that you now want and somebody else was doing it, right? So if somebody else can do something, why not you? Now, I know people who think that way. That's how, that's their true attitude. They'll look and say, well, John's doing it. I guess I can do it. And to them, that's reassuring that they think John's not so brilliant. John's smart enough guy. And so I can do it too. But what many of us think is, well, John's doing it. Wow, wow, he's, he's brilliant. He's got lots of money. He's 
got lots of things going for him. He speaks better than I do. He knows things I don't. We do that to ourselves and we just beat ourselves up. And yet what we don't see is John's flaws and he's loaded with them. You know why I know that? Because he's human and he's got plenty of them. So uh, if somebody else can do something, why can't you? Now, the, so, so we see this, we discount ourselves, we kill an idea. Oftentimes when we see somebody already doing it, boy, that's wrong. That should be absolutely reassuring when we see somebody else doing something. We can do it too if we want to. But the one that's even crazier is we might think nobody has done it, so it can't be done. Well, we see this one all the time. <laughs> well, look at Tesla, right? Look at, you know... Look at Steve Jobs. Look at Facebook. Some, some of these things were while they're entering markets, they did things in a way that weren't done before. But we might think what I'm doing can't be done. Sometimes I see this in nonprofits, right? People will tell me all the time, every, I always say, and I've got, I'll put some links to some posts on this about if you're thinking about starting a nonprofit, think again. Um, a lot of people will tell me, I'm going to start a nonprofit because I want to serve the homeless or I want to serve the poor or I want to serve this population. And the only way I can serve them is as a nonprofit because they can't pay. I'm all, you know, I, I always laugh at that. And a great example I always use is Dave Ramsey. By definition, Dave Ramsey serves broke people, right? Seems to be doing okay. Seems to be making a lot of money. There's lots of examples like that, that you can actually make lots of money. People will actually, in our culture, people have plenty of money to pay for what they really truly value. Um, so for the heart of serving, sometimes we think can't, things can't be done. But let me give you some other examples that's really close to home to me. So my daughter, Shakespeare, or the Shakespeare girl, is an example. So um, she has a degree in English. And she's always had this passion for Shakespeare. And she's always explored this idea of Shakespeare. And she came to me one day talking about, do you think there's an opportunity to do a YouTube channel or a, a podcast on Shakespeare and anybody will listen to it? And I said, probably not. That's not really what I said, but that's what was going on in the back of my mind, right? Because I'm thinking, who is going to listen to that? I know people will go to Shakespeare plays and do that, but who's going to listen to somebody talk about Shakespeare? But also in the back of my head, I know there's too many examples that this is happens. So um, she's got now a growing audience where she is talking about Shakespeare, right? And so she's actually won the best, and I've got it written down here, the best Shakespeare-themed animation at the Shakespeare Film Festival. I create, I'll put a link in the show notes. Three minutes, Romeo and Juliet. It's awesome because if you're like me, that's about all you can stand of Romeo and Juliet is three minutes and you know what's going on. She's got another one. She's just released Hamlet in, in three minutes uh, that um, is out there. It's awesome. It gets lots and lots of views and she's serving a market that, you know what, doesn't, I don't understand it. I, I frankly don't understand how this market makes sense to me, but it works. She's doing something she has passion for doing, and it's growing. And slowly but surely, it's beginning to get traction. My son, who's 17, is a, became a booktuber. Came to me one time, I wanted to be a booktuber. This is a YouTube thing. Never heard of it. These people get online and they talk about books. I guess if cat videos work, 
and watching somebody drink water works and watching somebody unwrap gifts works on YouTube, talking about books uh, will work. So I, I looked up today his video type of bookshelves. That's what it's called. And he's just showing here's my here's my bookshelf full of this book and here's my empty bookshelf and here's the minimalist book. I mean it's it's silly to me. It's got a lot of views. Why? I don't know. He's communicating something to an audience that gets it, right? She's communicating something to an audience that gets Shakespeare. What about your audience? What do you want to communicate to people? What kind of problems do you want to solve? What do you love doing? This is the dreaming part. It's not about anybody else's story. It is about yours. What do you think couldn't be done? Why would I think there should not be somebody who just gets on the radio and talks about Shakespeare? Because it doesn't make sense to me. Just because nobody else appeared to be doing it. So who's to say that won't work for you? What are you doing? What do you want to do? The other one I love, the thing that captures us, I'm giving you all kind of challenges that go through your head, but I know they go through your head, but this one we have a name for. It's called the imposter syndrome. You felt it, and it's that voice in your head that says, who am I to do that? And I'll use Cassidy as an example. So Cassidy writes Shakespeare stuff, and she studies for her videos the life of Shakespeare. Crazy things like, did Shakespeare use toothpaste? Did Shakespeare use math in his plays? And there's all kinds of weird, eccentric kind of things about Shakespeare. Well, some of it gets into academic research, you know, the things we publish in the academia that nobody reads. And I remember her calling me one time and she says, I'm going to speak at this conference they asked me to go to speak at. And everybody else is a PhD in English and all this Shakespeare stuff. Who am I to be on the stage with him? And I was thinking, probably the most interesting of them, you know, because they're all boring. But that's not what I said. You're there because she, we have this envision that the PhDs of the world are brilliant or something. I hang around PhDs all the time. I promise you, if you don't already know this, they're not brilliant. They may think they are, but they're not brilliant. They know one thing really well, and I might even question them on that. Uh, so, but you feel that way, right? You feel, how dare am I to do this? I see a lot of people wanting to make career moves. Who am I to lead this team? Who am I to lead this project? Right, that voice goes in the back of our head and it's almost a fear will hit us when we're being asked to do something. I often don't know the steps to take. This is another one that you find people say. Often when we start to dream, we don't know the steps to take. I'm gonna pick on Tesla here. Do you think Elon Musk and his early team knew early on exactly what it was going to look like to roll out these electric vehicles that were performance vehicles. They probably had this vague vision and some kind of idea that probably is not the way it turned out. I just know lots of company startouts, startups, it doesn't work the way you originally thought it did. But in general, they kind of knew where they were going and they knew the first couple of steps to take. That's all you really need. You don't really have to know a lot. 
I'll make a great example of this. Sarah Blakely, some of you may know, the founder of Spanx, women's clothing, I don't know what all she makes, but she started Spanx, and she had, uh, if I remember right, they were um, pantyhose that didn't have feet in them. I probably am saying that wrong, but those women out there, you will understand what I'm getting at. And if you're a fan of Spanx, you'll probably say she's awesome. But she, she had this idea, and she thought it was patentable. So she started going to, but she wanted a woman patent attorney. And so she started asking, who is the woman patent attorney in Atlanta? And they said there wasn't one, which to me is bizarre, but okay. And so she found out that she could not find a woman to represent her in writing this patent. That was very important to her. It had to be a woman. So what did she do? She didn't know how to do this. She didn't know what to do. But she just went to Barnes & Noble and found a book on how to write a patent and wrote her own patent. She just figured it out, right? That's how we do things. I don't know the steps to take. It's fine. If you're dreaming big and you don't think you can do this, and you don't think you have the ability to do this, and you don't know the first steps do you take to make your dream, and, you, and you're thinking in the back of your head, who am I to do this? You're normal. You're absolutely normal, and you're just like all these other people. You're just like all these other people that have wildly succeeded. I can go on and on for night, for days, and talk about the examples and the people I run into daily that are struggling through these issues. And many of them have beat through it, right? But the real issue is what are you dreaming? You know, whether it's starting a company, whether it's just doing something that you haven't done before, whether it's uh, uh, I want to take a job and do something else. I want to learn how to do something and move into a new role. I want to move to a new city. I want to do something different. What if you knew you couldn't fail? Just think about it. what if you could not fail? They always ask that question when you're dreaming. If you could not fail, what would you do? What would you think if God had your back, right? If God was going to give you all the resources that you needed, what would you do if money was not an option? Doesn't matter how much it costs. Money is not my issue. Uh, what would you do if you had the freedom to do anything that you want? What would you do? Because the truth is, all of those are true. You may fail in some sense, but you're not going to fail in the fact that you tried. God does have your back. I'm a believer in that. You may not, but me and you can talk offline about that. What would you do if money was not an option. Money's never really an option. Money is not the issue. Money is never the issue. Entrepreneurs, for example, call me up and say, I need money for this. Money's easy. Money's really, really easy. Most of the time, they don't even need the money. Money's not the problem. Uh, what if you had the freedom to do anything you wanted to do? Well, that's a weird question. We live in the United States. At least I do, and many of you do live in the United States of America, you have the freedom to do whatever you want. Well, there's a few laws, but don't go there. But generally speaking, you have the freedom to do all kinds of things that's right there at your fingertips. You probably have the freedom, the resources, the tools, the smarts, the brains, everything you need and the people around you to do 
tremendous things if you so wanted to do them. No, you can let the system define you. You can let the school system tell you what to do and your hours and days. You can spend your hours and days watching YouTube videos or television or commercials. I ran into this guy I was working with the other day. He's from Korea. and He made the comment to me, I don't relate to these people well in the United States because they spend so much time watching football and watching TV and commercials. And I never watch TV, don't even have a TV. I don't want to waste my mind like that. And I thought that was weird, the culture he comes from. But it's like, wow, that's different. It's different how you said that. I don't want to waste my mind like that. It's interesting. You football fans, don't send me emails. I'm not a football fan either, but I get it. Uh, you're, you're all kind of sick in your own way, right? So remember, you don't have to take the first step, but just notice how nervous you get just when you start dreaming. You get nervous, don't you? It makes you a little shaky. Uh, notice you think about the possibilities, though. You also get a little excited, often cautious, but excited. And sometimes when you start to talk about the idea with somebody else, they will either water it and feed it, or they'll bury it under sand. So you be careful who you talk to. But forget about taking action right now. That's not important. Right now, just dream. If I could take all the people that I coach, that I work with, that I partner with in industry and just say, just stop and think about what do you want? How much more productive will they be if they're working in something they dream of doing? How more productive will they be if they wake up with energy to go after this dream every day instead of barreling themselves out of bed and trying to barrel themselves to work to get to a stupid meeting. How much product, more productive would they be? That's why people like Steve Jobs and, uh, and, and Elon Musk and these kinds of people. They create so many opportunities for people because they're willing to dream and they're willing to chase after it. But again, forget about those guys. Think about the people on the corner that are giving people jobs with their business. Think about friends of yours that are stepping out just a little bit to follow their dreams, to serve other people, to create opportunities for other people. But what about your dream? What kind of things are you going to do? I would love to hear about it. And you may think that's crazy, but I, when I first started saying this, one of the things you want to do is start feeding yourself and watching what other people get excited about, watching what other people put their energy into actually gives me energy. And I'm always like shocked at the kind of crazy things you people do. And I'm always in awe of so much of it that happens. And I'm always sad when I see somebody without a dream. Don't let that be you. We'll talk to you next week.